Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We've been telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics all across the world since 2015, and we have over a thousand years of living with T1D on the podcast. The interviews range from incredible feats to everyday victories, and we celebrate them all just the same. Thanks for listening, and if you want to get involved even further, just send me an email at rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Diabetics Doing Things. We are telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics from all across the world. Uh, My guest today I'm really excited about because I think we're going to have just a really uh, cool, relaxed, fun conversation. Uh, Paulius Podzunas, uh, and he is calling. Actually, I don't even know where you're calling from. Um, but I am, I know I'm hyped to talk to you. So where, where are you at, Paulius? Welcome to the show. I'm in Chicago right now, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, excited to have you here. Love Chicago. Uh, I, I'm sure it's just cold as all get out out there right now. Yeah, yeah. It's horrible. It's pretty horrible. Uh, it's wild. Yeah, that is the only thing that would uh, keep me away from Chicago is uh, that Chicago winter. Well, man, uh, I'm super excited to have you on the show. I know we've been uh, scheduling this for quite some time. So just like uh, just like always, I think in order for us to really get to know you, we got to learn about your diagnosis. So kind of kind of start us off on uh, when you joined the Type One family, and we'll go from there. Uh, let's see. Uh, I could clearly remember it was July fourth, and I was seventeen, so I was a junior in high school. And um, I remember two days before, um, I was planning to go to like a party or something with my friends. You know, July fourth. You're seventeen, eighteen years old. You're, you know, you're planning all these crazy things right after high school, and um, I already had like the regular symptoms before that everyone experiences, you know, going to the bathroom, peeing, um, just had like fogginess, overall fogginess. And then uh, two days before I got really, really bad where my muscles started cramping up. And uh, the funny thing was I went to my buddy's house and my dad was, my friend's dad was diabetic. And he's like, Paul, man, you look horrible. Like your eyes are yellow and you got baggies (laughs) in your eyes and you lost a lot of weight. And he's like, why don't you check your sugar? So we checked my sugar, and he had some, I guess back in the day, it was pretty fancy, some blood glucose uh, meter. Checked my sugar, and the meter didn't even read. It just said a high. So I knew right away something was wrong. And then my mom was actually a nurse for uh, about 12 years. So for her, you know, she told me basically F you when I told her I got diabetes because being Lithuanian too, I don't know if you ever looked at statistics for like European countries. I think there's only like 2% type 1 diabetics. Wow. Uh, from Lithuania. So it was really weird. And um, the day after I went to the hospital and I got like really like diagnosed and uh, the doctor said I was lucky because my sugar was only about like 350 or something like that. And then they had people coming in with like 500 or 600 and it took like a lot. So yeah, man, it's it's always interesting to hear, especially when you get diagnosed by like a, a diabetic in the wild. So like your your friend's dad. Uh, just recognizing those symptoms and uh, being able to catch it because you know if you never go to his his place you know who knows how long it could be before you you know somebody checks you into the doctor you tell your mom I know for me I, I feel very fortunate because my, my sugar was only like just over 400 when mm-hmm. I got diagnosed and I drank like a dr. pepper before so like I was probably not even that high like uh, in comparison to most people who you know come in really really looking bad um, do you remember uh, 
do you remember what the sort of prognosis for you was uh, from the hospital, from the doctors, uh, from the get-go? Do you was it positive? Was it uh, you know sort of doom and gloom? Do you remember? Oh yeah, yeah, it was positive. But um, you know the story kind of stretched out for a long time because everybody I think um, kind of encounters the honeymoon phase. Sure. And I've been, I guess, on the honeymoon phase for the past eight years. Um, they were always surprised for some reason. Every time I went in there, they uh, they knew that I was type 1 diabetic. But then um, I think in the beginning, they did have questions. They thought maybe it was like something that was temporarily. Maybe I had a virus in my system and um, it was just affecting my pancreas. But as it stretched, you know, throughout a few years, basically, um, the doctors knew that I was like legitly type 1 diabetic. That's interesting. Uh, and I think, too... Um, you know, I'm just looking through your profile and kind of knowing a little bit about you. You're a pretty healthy guy. Uh, yeah. You, you know, you eat a lot, eat really the kind of low carb and keto and uh, sort of paleo and exercise. So, you know, those types of things, especially with, uh, you know, treatment, you know, even minor, uh, you know, adjustments for insulin and things can sometimes stretch that honeymoon period out quite a bit. Yeah, it took, I mean, it took a while and, um, you know, the weird thing was when I got out of the hospital, I remember um, I was just taking, I would say about total with long lasting insulin and with uh, fast acting insulin about, I don't know, 80 units a day, I would say, for the 24 hours. So throughout the meals, before, after, and then before bed, about 80 units total. And I think within three weeks, I got my units down to like maybe 20 units a day. Like it just went drastically down. Ah, it's crazy. And then like, that's one of those things like there's no way to adjust for that type of thing. There's no way to predict that something like that's going to happen. Right. Yeah. 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 And then obviously, I mean, it was supported by me working out every single day and, you know, I, I just got addicted. I remember this, the first day I got diagnosed, I was like, I don't care how, like, I'm going to find a way to like fix this thing and help other people. I just don't care. And then I guess just being, you know, strong willed and kind of like a hard ass, uh, that attitude uh, definitely helped me along the way. Yeah, I think a lot of people experience that too, sort of a chip on your shoulder um, to really live as hard as you can, right? And do sort of defy the odds a bit. Uh, I know I experienced that a little bit myself and sometimes uh, caused me to not uh, respond so friendly to people who would ask me questions. But, you know, being a young a young guy, uh, hot-tempered and competitive, sometimes that happens. Um what were those things that you threw yourself into sort of right away? You mentioned exercise. Anything specific? Uh, yeah, I was actually, uh, before then, I was really, really, really obsessed with uh, bodybuilding. I, I don't remember. I don't know if it was Frank Zane's book that I got, but I had a book, and it was one of the old school bodybuilders. It was from Arnold Zero, and a, just a pure, I think, the pure aspect of just bodybuilding that kind of motivated him. And obviously I was young, you know, so you got to look good for the ladies and all that stuff that goes in there. But, um, I got, I still got my notebooks and I got into bodybuilding. I remember I went up to 216 pounds from 175 in about like eight weeks. So I was like in the crazy, like meat bro, broski diet thingy going on. I was eating like seven meals a day. Um, I was just working out like a madman, like every single day. I was just like, I'm going to do this. I'll be a nutritionist. I'll be helping other people. Uh, so that was one of my first things. I still remember in my notebook, uh, the title for that day, I think it was uh, December 11th or something. It was like meathead, meathead polyus season or something like that. <laughs> I just went on <laughs> it for like a few months until I got, I mean, I 
put on like 30 pounds and I was pretty still lean and I was really surprised because it was the first time ever I had any results in the gym. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I kind of make a joke about that too, about uh, nobody ever thought I was good at basketball until after I had diabetes. Um, mm-hmm. And I think a, a lot of it just coincided with, you know, hormones and growth and, you know, when your body's working correctly uh, and getting all the nutrients and, the, and insulin and metabolism needs that it need that it wants and needs, you just see those results kind of right away. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the horrible part before I got diagnosed, um, for like two months, I remember, I, I mean, the symptoms started showing up a little bit earlier. I would say about three months before, um, I think the urination got like a hold of me really fast because I was like, why am I peeing so much? But I was already going to the gym like often every single day. And uh, yeah, those last two months right before going into hospital, like something started happening where I started getting really mad at myself because my workouts weren't good. And you know what? I mean, anybody that works out and that listens to your podcast knows exactly what I mean when sometimes you come determined to the gym and you don't meet your expectations when you leave. But that started happening regularly. Like I just got foggy. Uh, I can't even feel my muscles anymore. And then sometimes I used to cramp up. And uh, when I used to play basketball, too, I remember my calves used to just like cramp up really bad. And I mean, those last two months were just like, what the hell is going on? And as soon as I got everything back in line and just working out and, you know, having that pump and just the good feeling after it was I was like, wow, I'm back again. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, I just got done with my 30 day over the counter type one challenge, mm-hmm. which uh, for me was a significant adjustment in the way that I treat my type one. Um, you know, for, and I think we're going to talk a little bit about living over the counter with you as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it's interesting when you adjust those things, you kind of take for granted your, your routine that kind of gets you there when you have to change it significantly, there's always a learning curve. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, you were talking about everybody who's type one knows what it's like to go to the gym feeling really good. And then something happened and a few obstacles jump in on the way. And then you just, you know, don't get as good of a workout as maybe you wanted. Um, yeah. How did you, you know, as you were, as you were learning and, and going forward, how, how did you continue to push forward any sources of inspiration you looked to, or did that just kind of come from within? Uh, no, yeah, no, there was, there was a lot of inspiration. Um, uh, funny thing was my brother, my older brother was, um, in an accident, like right around that time. So my dad, uh, my dad was like raised in the communist times and he was all about like, working out in the physical aspect. So he actually bought us um, and built a uh, Olympic squat rack cage in my basement. And I have like all the dumbbells, uh, all the different bars, all the weights, pull down bars, like almost a complete gym, but um, it was enough to get started. And um, I guess just by having that, you know, you needed some sort of motivation to get into it. So I started watching like YouTube videos and basic, very basic motivational YouTube videos. That's what got like, that was like the whole, I guess, foundation for me. And then once you get interested, I guess if you if you um, if you see someone you like, you just kind of start looking about them, you know, reading their story and then following that person. And there was no one specific, but I think anybody that was an athlete, whether it was a bodybuilder, soccer player, basketball player, that had anything motivational to say or just had a story or something, I was just really um, interested in that. Man, I uh, can't tell you how many motivational rabbit holes I've fallen down in YouTube <laughs> over the years. Just like start watching one highlight tape or motivational video and then all of a sudden two hours have gone by and you're like doing push-ups in your apartment or something. It's wild. Yeah. So I spent pretty much like 
pretty much like the first year I think in diabetes, I was just really, really, really keen into like working out and um, adjusting this whole diabetic thing. And um, I think I was, yeah, I was still in high school, so it was all kind of new. So I had to deal with, um, you know, balancing uh, stuff out in, in school because the school lunches were just complete crap. Uh, bringing my own lunch, that was something new to me. Um, I guess bringing a balanced lunch, that was something new to me. You just couldn't have a, a regular, you know, sandwich that your mom packs and like, you know, maybe something sweet on the side. You had to actually balance things out and um, I guess learn. <laughs> you had to relearn everything that you've been taught and add new things to it. What do you think, you know, you talked about packing lunch, you know, for a high school kid, you, by the time you're 16, 17, you've kind of got it figured out. Uh, and then, you know, this just throws a whole wrench in your system. What do you think the biggest adjustment for you was uh, just in your everyday life? Uh, I think, I think routine. I've never had a routine before. And um, up to this day, I believe in the routine or just, if you want to just call it in a general way, a system, having your own system that works for you. So if you wake up early, you know, if you have your breakfast, it's just having consistently the same thing and just building that routine because later on, uh, whenever you encounter any friction, you're, it's going to be way easier to spot what's wrong than, you know, just kind of going off of it. And then something happens and you're like, oh, I don't even know what's going on. So I think uh, the hardest thing was routine because, you know, being a young kid, you don't really care about that. You can just go outside, play. You could be in school all day without eating. You know, you could just have like a Snicker bar and you're good to go. But now being a diabetic, like you could experience a lot of other you know byproducts of it yeah you know as i've gotten older and i'm sure you've uh encountered this a little bit as well like routine is uh, almost everything um and i can tell you know depending on what how, you know what phase of my life or what's going on in my life uh i can tell how stressed i am or how serious it is by how it affects my routine like if I'm if I'm totally unbothered by it, I'm still hitting all my workouts, still getting my meals planned, still at work at the same time. Uh, then I know it's not a big deal. But when it does affect it, it's almost like, oh man, I got to figure out how to deal with this and keep on my routine. It's always a challenge. Yeah, and I mean the only thing that I was actually like looking back at school too. The only thing I was really mad. I think um, we do lack health education, like real health education, because I feel like as humans, like especially me being in design, like I could tell a lot from people like our generation is evolving. Like the way we absorb information, we're just, everyone's just becoming so much faster and smarter like than we were before. And um, makes me realize like, you know, the half of the problems, half of those math problems they learned in high school are irrelevant, but we could have learned like the basic things like counting carbs and calories. And I think uh, if we would have got into that earlier, you know, by the time you graduate, you would have been a different person. But these things are, I feel like, are becoming very, very uh, sought after. And um, it's kind of sad that I did not learn anything about that in high school. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you sort of don't learn those until you have to. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's interesting as well because now, you know, after 13 years of counting every carb that's gone into my body and, you know, when I get anxious counting everybody else's carbs around me, uh, <laughs> you know – it's an extra practice, but now it's just a, you know, it's, it's just uh, like walking the dog. Like, you know, just, I, I can do it without thinking, uh, you know, there's no extra, you know, stress about it. And, you know, for most people, they've never even thought of it. It's never even crossed their mind and they don't know how food affects them. Um, and, you know, we could have an entire, another podcast on food education, sex education, all these things that aren't being taught to kids. Um, and you know, are not required necessarily. And you know, who's, who's behind that conspiracy, 
uh, well, let's just line everybody up because there's a million people. But um, that's sort of neither here nor there. It's just interesting to me the benefit of getting diagnosed with this type with this chronic illness on your overall health, your holistic health, and all of the things that go into it. Because for the first time now, you get a metric in blood sugar that you're able to measure and you know make decisions based off of, and this all this new data coming at you. Uh, that can help improve your life overall, or at least you know at some point that you're not uh, you're not in the range that you need to be in. It kind of gives you a barometer almost. Yeah, I mean, right now especially, it's I don't know. I, I guess I could call myself a veteran of diabetes. It's almost ten years, uh, but I think now I just look back and I'm like, wow, like I could tell so much so fast. Like anything that changes in my body and how I feel, it's just like a quick adjustment. And I think that like maybe not even having diabetes, but just like figuring out that solution or like that friction and finding that and, you know, replacing that with something good. It's just like amazing. Cause I, I mean, I never thought about, you know, me learning about calories or anything like that. I was just interested in the, in the health aspect itself, but going deeper into this, um, definitely, I think anybody could benefit this, but I mean, yeah, anybody, anybody could benefit from this any day. And you brought something up a little bit earlier um, about your your career as a designer, as a UX designer. Uh, what, A, you know, what things do you design for yourself and for your own lifestyle as like a lifestyle design as a part of your T1D? And, and also, you know, what would you sort of change in the UX experience of sort of the products and processes that we have in place today? All right, so... What kind of things do I design for myself? Well, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar or anybody that's listening with uh, Sketch App. So it's basically um, a tool. It's kind of like a Photoshop with artboards, and you can create like shapes and graphs and anything you want. It's basically free. So I'm very interested in the systems, and uh, I've created these. I don't know. I got. I'll, I'll send you something after. I'll, I'll post it on. Uh, I'll post it on Instagram. But I've created these boards. And it was kind of basically like a custom wellness circle. So I knew that at this age right now, I'll be 25 and um, just, you know, eating good doesn't do it anymore. Like there's a lot more going on. Like I have to keep my stress low. I know that if my stress is high, I'll start having cramping shoulders, uh, my cortisol spikes, my sugar gets out of line. And that's just from stress, nothing else. If I, if I just start overreacting mindfully, um, I'll, I'll get out of line. So I started creating these like small little like, little flows. Whenever I have a bad day, um, if you guys want to Google it, it's called user flow for applications. Basically finds out how someone navigates through an application. So it's kind of simple. It just goes from A to B to C to D and then what happens on each screen, right? So what I did was uh, started doing flows. Whenever I had a bad day, I usually flow out the whole day. So I wake up, read, you know, do my routine. And I just keep I just keep putting things down, what I do. Um, and I base them off three things. Uh, I believe it was intention, feeling, and um, I want to say energy. But I had something else listed. But it was three things. And if I experience something bad in the afternoon and I have the whole day float out, I'm more likely to spot something maybe a day before, even the same day. Maybe it was my routine. I woke up and instead of drinking water, you know, I had coffee, you know, hydrating myself. That might change my whole day. And I have to kind of like pinpoint those things so from design perspective i guess just as i said before just keeping the systems open like i i just think of this whole thing as a system um and the more you i guess if you look at systems they um 
they work as a whole, right? So there's a whole bunch of variables that make up a system. If you look at, um, uh, for say, like a basketball team, right? There's a whole bunch of systems going in within a play, within a player, within a team, within a coach, within a bench, um, how they run the plays on defense, offense. I mean, if you look at life like that, too, it's like offense, defense. Um, I just think of systems as everything. Like what kind of variables could affect me today? Um, not having enough water. Should I bring this meal? Should I eat that? Uh, should I bring money with me and buy something? Am I going to have something good to eat at in Chicago? I'm going to be in Northside. Okay, is there any restaurants in Northside? You know, I just keep going. Um, and it might look like, you know, a whole bunch of crap, but I made it so simple where I just know, like, the important things. Uh, I guess my values are kind of, like, clear that every single, I want, every single day I want to go as smooth as possible. And if I want to achieve that, it's all by basically keeping these, like, small things in line and, as I call it, a system. So I guess that's, like, the biggest um, thing that design brought me into that. Well, I, I love that because um, I think if people approach almost all of the sort of primary concerns in their life, whether that's health, work, family, um, and you apply those sort of system constraints, that's where you're able to be creative. Um, for me, you know, I think my most creative work comes from when I have a system set up for myself that doesn't require thinking. It's just so direct. Yeah that I can't waver to the right or left. I just know exactly what I'm trying to do at that given point. Um, and oftentimes that removes all the variables. It's kind of like wearing a uniform to school um, or wearing the same thing every day. Taking that extra step out, you just go into the closet, grab your stuff and go. Um, makes it more simple and leaves you open for more decisions. It gives you, creates that positive momentum. Same thing with like going to the gym for me. It doesn't really matter what I do when I get there for the most part, um, as long as I'm there at the right time and I show up ready to go. Um, usually something good will happen. And, you know, if I want to take it a step further, I'll design, you know, whatever the workout is. And, and I think those systems that remove the thinking and the, the wavering component, uh, just they're easier to commit to and they're easier to cross off your list and then they're done. Um, and by the time that's done, you've got this positive momentum and it's on to the next thing. Yeah, yeah, and like the thing that you mentioned, like what would I design, I guess, what UX um, perspective would I bring into diabetes? And that kind of like brings into the second part is like the system itself, um, our brains, every time we do something, our brains try to figure out to make it easier, right? Uh, that's that's a psychological fact. And I mean, the more you start doing something, that's why I kind of encourage every single diabetic listening is start creating. Don't listen to anybody. I mean, start doing your own thing. Start doing your own research. What works for you? Every every single life is completely different. You know, you might wake up at nine o'clock while the other person wakes up at five. I mean, that's a four hour difference in what you could get done in those. It's a lot. But just having like an individual approach, um, I guess don't try to copy blueprints anymore. It does not work. <laughs> that's what I keep telling. It's individual. Um, you could copy like frameworks, right? So, I mean, what is a framework? You could just say maybe like low carb eating. Okay, what is low carb eating? Well, let's have a little bit maybe more fat here. And then, you know, it's just adjusting. But um the individual approach of systems, I think that's the biggest important thing. And um, as soon as I got like used to my own approach, um, the burnout stopped uh, occurring because I used to burn out so fast. Uh, I used to be so motivated to go. I was just like, I'm going to wake up at five o'clock. I'm going to eat. I'm going to do everything point by point. I'm going to count every single calorie that I put in my body. Like everything's going to be calculated. And then I used to burn out because I used to try new things. But then um, I stepped everything back and like relearned. I was like, well, everything that I did almost did not work. 
So what I have to do now is basically rewrite my whole system myself. And I just started experimenting with a few things here and there. And then all of a sudden is, you know, you just, you just naturally get attracted to the things that work. <laughs> I mean, if you have a routine in the morning that you really enjoy and that basically like sparks up your day, why stop doing it? Right. Um, which brings me to the second part is like UX, um, for diabetics. Um, one of the things, and that's how I kind of reached out to you too, is, uh, in December, I actually found that app, uh, Mighty Networks and one of the groups, uh, what is it? Type one diabetic nation or something like that. I believe it's type one diabetic nation. Oh yeah, okay. Type type one nation, maybe. Yeah, yeah type okay. one nation. They're yeah. huge. Uh, but I've, as I as I told you in my Instagram uh, message too, I, like I've never talked about any diabetics, or I've never even actually talked to diabetics in the past eight years. And I started like reading um, one very interesting question that someone asked. It was, uh, "What would you do without diabetes in like twenty four hours or something like that?" And I started reading every single story, and you know, I've never read anything. And one of the things that made me almost like cry was, you know, there's parents uh, that have to wake up at night to check on their kids, you know, their little kids. So if you think about it for the next five years, um, they're basically never going to have a full night to sleep yeah. <laughs> unless there's going to be, in a, you know, some sort of technology or something that kind of helps people out. But I saw a lot of, um, I saw a lot of kids, I guess it refers to just not having the freedom and it, it feels like almost it feels like none of the kids that wrote like i looked at the profiles too like the teens uh that wrote none of them talked about maybe having a, a schedule or something everyone just talked about freedom and um my original like thought after graduating ux was like oh i'm gonna cure diabetes but now i'm taking a huge step back and one of the most issues that i see is maybe like mental behavior i feel like if you had someone approach with diabetes with simplicity, I think it could definitely um, elevate their life to a whole new level. And what simplicity? What simplicity for you? What 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 are those decisions that you made that made it better for you? Um. Well, I think uh, sitting back down and just kind of reevaluating where the health industry is and what have you been thought right. Um, if I say a word diet to somebody. They're probably going to think, you know, of some shredded girl or some guy with six-pack abs and dumbbells going on and all that. And, you know, honestly, it probably turns off a lot of people. Um, so I was going back to the simplicity of just like holistic approach and not overdoing anything. Um, it could be as simple as instead of products, start using produce. I mean, everyone knows what produce is. <laughs> it's just kind of almost going to like paleo diet, right? Just having normal foods. See what happens for a week if you eat just food. If you're not going to have your snacks, if you're not going to have anything, just eat food, regular food. Have your, you know, toast for breakfast with eggs and, you know, whatever. Have um, maybe like a bowl of salad or something for lunch. I'm just trying to like come up with ideas, but that's what I have. So I'm just well, saying that. But. I, I think it's I think it's really worth diving into because some of those some of that terminology is meant to confuse people. Um, yeah, and it and it causes so much confusion that you end up not making a decision. It causes too much thinking. Um, so again, kind of back to sim simplicity is really just simple systems. Um, you know, I I'd highly recommend, and I don't often recommend books on this podcast, but uh, the life changing magic of tidying up uh, is a book by Marie Kondo, and it's basically a book on minimalism, but it's all based yeah. on like things that make you happy. And it's just delightful. It's really good. And I am a person who 
thrives sort of in messy. Like I see pictures on Instagram of like beautifully designed rooms and I'm like that, I, I want that, but I could never have it because I have papers and shit everywhere. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just that person, you know, I, I'm looking at my desk right now. I've got a pile of mail. I got a pile of notes. I got a pile of receipts. I got a pile of just, I have a, a single sock sitting on my uh, desk. It's just madness. So you know, keeping it simple and like that book, I think, uh, is something that as this year continues to progress is something that I'm, uh, continually trying to evolve towards, uh, and clean up about my everyday life and just, and just remove the things that cause stress and cortisol, like you were telling me earlier, uh, and things that cause hectic, a hectic mindset, uh, and just try to stay clear and, and develop systems to clean up the change that's sitting on my desk or, uh, make sure all my test strips make it to the trash can and things like that. Yeah, it's just kind of like being prepared. And um, I guess like uh, before even having systems, I guess one of the most important things is just having your values set straight. You know, everybody talks about values and, you know, in design, I hear about companies having values, visions and all that. And, you know, it's a, it's kind of like a pretty word thrown around and not a lot of people know exactly what it is. And, you know, it took me a while. I just actually just started like realizing what values really are. And um, it's almost like your lens, you see through things, you know, if one of your values is to be healthy, then everything revolves around being almost healthy, right? So any um, situation that involves, let's say you're with, you're out with your friend and you're getting donuts and, you know, because you value being healthy, you choose a decision not to get a donut, you know, it's such a lame story, but I'm just saying, it just basically filters out everything. And um, I started approaching everything with like personal values, like what brings happiness into my life? Uh, what elevates my sugars you know what makes me pissed off like all those like small like little things um those add up those really add up i feel like they really do and you know i i want to make sure that we you know you and i could go all day i think on any kind of uh you know systems and design and nutrition and sports and whatever the case may be and fall down a huge youtube rabbit hole of whatever it may be um <laughs> But I, I want to focus in on something that uh, is a little bit near and dear to both of us right now, and I think it was one of the intros to how we started chatting uh, more recently, and that is living without insurance. And kind of, I know you're an entrepreneur. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, you with that with entrepreneurial ventures come the challenges uh, that you know you may not always have insurance, um, and you might have to. Uh, you know, get your insulin di in different ways. Um, so for you and for me over the last, uh, you know, in January 2018, I went off of all of my prescriptions and I got my R and N uh, from Walmart. Mm -hmm. What do you, what, how do you in those times where you're, you know, going off and trying your own ventures and starting your own businesses, how do you treat your type one? And, and uh, was it difficult to make that jump and talk a little bit about sort of the emotions behind all that? No, yeah. Um, I'm actually writing an article too this summer too. When uh, speaking of entrepreneur ventures, me and my buddy went to Colorado, which is going to be an interesting article because I was actually homeless almost for 30 days, living out of my car with diabetes, which was interesting. And I'm trying to, you know, put a really good article that explains everything. But um, yeah, w when I went on um, Walmart insulin, um, it was because my mom actually quit the hospital and. Obviously, when she worked at the hospital, she had insurance for me and my family, so everything was all nice and tidy, and, you know, you get the employee, you know, special treatment, all that, right. but when I went off, um, I remember I was actually really, really kind of worried because I looked at the prices of just buying regular pens, and they were humongous. They were like 100 to $200 per pen, um, 
And at the same time, I remember at one point just being without any uh, insulin. Um, and it was about a week. Uh, the only thing I had was like leftover empty pens. And we all know when you finish a pen, there's about like 12 units still out. So I actually bought like needles and pushed that all out. So that kept me going for a few days. But um, the week after, I was without insulin for completely like seven or eight days straight. Wow. Um, and my sugar actually, I kept, and again, going back to systems, I kept everything under control. And without insulin, my sugar was, I, I don't think it went past 200. I think the highest one, it was like 180, 190. Um, so I kept it pretty decent, I guess. Still not not optimal, but I was really happy with it. So I even never knew, you know, being a diabetic for so long, I never knew that Walmart sells insulin. You know, I thought I'm going to have to rely on, you know, insurance or just, you know, suck it up and basically pay like four or 500 bucks a month for, you know, over the counter and not even prescribed insulin. But once I got into that, um, uh, one thing that kind of took me in was uh, not having uh, long lasting insulin anymore. So I had to figure out how to how can I utilize the insulin, the RNN that I buy at Walmart to make it last longer, right? So when I inject before uh, bed and so I don't have any spikes at night and all that, um, I guess just through trial and error, one of the things I noticed was uh, keeping my uh, spot injections uh, changed up a little bit. Like during daytime, I try to usually inject into my stomach or my tricep and the insulin hits really fast. I mean, it, it just takes about 15 to 30 minutes to even hit it. And then before bed, I just do it in my butt, like right in the glute. I think because of the fat, um, the insulin doesn't get absorbed as fast. And then it kind of keeps me um, at level throughout the night. And I wake up usually with pretty good sugars or a little bit lower than usual. But, um, you know, I've been on this Walmart insulin journey for about two years. And you know, the only thing that I really miss is probably having like a pen. <laughs> right. Because it's, you know, it, those little inconveniences can add up over time, right? Um, yeah. Man, it's just, uh, it, it's a challenge. You know, and, and for those of us who are on insurance and have those luxuries, you know, it's still inconvenient. Diabetes is never convenient. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's nothing to be proud of. When you, get, when you get to that point of like the most raw organic diabetes treatment, which is, you know, multiple daily injections with syringes out of vials, uh, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll take you back a little bit. It'll kind of make you step back and be grateful for those times where you did have a pan or a pump or something like that. Yeah, and that's like the, the best part was uh, I really started appreciating. I mean, just life in general, I started appreciating after um, me and my best friend went to Colorado and we tried a few entrepreneur ventures and completely failed and when we ended up living in the car, um, I actually had a cooler in there. So my insulin was pretty regulated under temperature and all that. But I mean, going back to systems again, I've had such a good system in the morning that even living out of the car, like it did not affect me at all. Like in the morning, I, I still went about with kind of intermittent fasting or whatever you want to call it. I had my meals around 10, 11 o'clock because that's when I felt like it. That's when I felt the best. And um, just by doing this for so many years, like, I know what to eat in the morning. I know what to have. And I kind of could predict what my sugars might be in the evening, you know, in the morning or after each thing that I do. So just just by keeping it consistent, I think that helped me out a lot because, you know, if you asked a random diabetic, like, hey, could you imagine yourself living out of the car for 30 days with diabetes? It probably would say no. <laughs> yeah, and maybe wouldn't choose it if they had the choice, right? Yeah, and it really, I mean, that that period of time was uh, really, really deep for me because I've learned a lot about myself and 
Um, I mean, we literally lived like an entrepreneur life. We lived out of a car, went to the gym to shower, worked out of a coffee shop and library for like over 30 days and uh, did these like stupid gigs, like moving gigs on the side just to get a little bit of money for gas. And, um, you know, people might like think that like maybe eating hard or eating out was really hard, but it actually wasn't because there was actually in Denver, especially it's such a progressive area. There were so many uh, diners and just healthy food areas that you could eat affordably. It was, uh, it was pretty nice. And I guess overall, just knowing what to eat, that's like the best thing. Cause, um, one of the things that I saw when I got diagnosed uh, with diabetes, um, at my friend's house, I still remember this image in my head to this day. Uh, one of my best friend's uh, brothers, they were both diabetics. And, um, when their sugar goes down, the, I guess the thing that they bring their sugar back up is, uh, by having half a donut. And I was like, come on. I'm like, really? I'm like, who, who taught you guys to eat a donut after your sugar goes back up? And, they, and that's like one of the things that they do is just eat usually candy or a donut. I was like, man, just have like juice or like something else besides a donut to kill yourself. So, Yeah, man. It's interesting. Like, interesting, like uh, the, the thing that saves your life from a low can also, you know, if you look at the whole holistic picture, you know, a donut is just bad for you. No matter what your treatment is, the donut is always bad. Um and, you know, that's not to say that you can't have balance and have a donut every now and then if you want a donut. But back to your values point, uh, what's more important? You know, diabetes is the chronic illness that we have today. But we've also got to prepare for the chronic illnesses that are affecting everybody else 40 years from now. You know, and, um, you know, there's a whole slew of them, whether it's heart disease or, you know, brain disease or stroke or anything else. You know, it's just a uh, or cancer or things like that we're so susceptible to those in the United States. We got to be careful, um, you know, just to, just to manage the chronic illness that we have currently today. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw, um, I, I listened to one of your previous podcasts with Anna, cause I do jujitsu too. I've been doing jujitsu for five years and that's like one of my biggest staples in, um, diabetes. And, um, yeah, anybody, any diabetic that's listening, I, I do recommend is finding, not just working out, because anyone could just say, like, oh, exercise, finding something fun that, like, really fits you. It doesn't matter. I mean, it could be a kickboxing boot camp. I don't care what it is. As long as you're having fun and you're doing something physical that stimulates your body, uh, stick to that. I mean, that's going to help you in such so many ways. It's it's incredible. For jiu-jitsu, especially for me, I don't know. I think it's, like, I, I just call it the uh, another insulin, because after I do jiu-jitsu, my insulin sugars will be like will be down for the next like three four days if i train really hard and like that's why that's why i keep coming back to it because it's like would you rather stab yourself another four or five times and inject more or would you go maybe and get beat up and choked out and almost have your joints broken for a few times a week i'm like i'll probably choose that anytime yeah and i think you know like you said whatever your thing is and i've heard you know a lot of jujitsu um sort of purists who, who say, or, you know, whether that's authors or whatever the case is that if you, you know, want to find the ultimate balancing act for, you know, what's important in life, like jujitsu reinforces that a hundred percent in real time with real stimulus. Um, and you know, it's really cool. I've never really had anybody who's, you know, obviously we've had Anna and we had a, another guy whose episode is coming uh, soon named Kevin Kellerman and they're both fighters. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, just the practice of jujitsu itself is such a healthy, meditative, problem solving type experience. 
That's something that yeah. I've always, you know, I, I say I've, I'm interested in. I've never done it, but it's something that I would for sure uh, leave myself open to at some point. Yeah, it's just like one of those things that once you get into moment of jujitsu when you're rolling, it's it's undescribable what it is because, I mean, at the same time you're figuring out a dynamic problem while you're giving the opponent a problem, and while the opponent's reading your problem, you're reading his problem, and it just goes on and on and. I mean, if you take a step back, and um, I would really love to know if there was some research done or future research, like what goes in in the mind behind uh, when you inject insulin, like for a regular diabetic, like what do you think about before you even put the needle up to your skin? Like I would like to find that out. What do you think about when you prick your finger right before you do that, you know, right before you give yourself an injection? Like what goes in your head? What kind of feelings do you go through? That would be really interesting because jujitsu kind of like eliminates almost all the byproducts, like the irrelevant feelings and irrelevant thoughts, and it makes you like completely focused on the present. And um, I think that just kind of reflects in so many ways into diabetes too, just keeping me strict and keeping me keen eye. I think that's the biggest thing. And um, that's why I think jujitsu is like so good. And like the symbol of it too is like, if you look at it as a triangle and uh, it's a mind, body, and spirit. I mean, it's so simple, yet no one does it. Mind, body, and spirit. If you keep those in place and check, I think anybody could be fine yeah i think uh i think you're right it, it's something that we throw around a lot but you know not a lot of people follow through on um you you've already given a, a lot of great advice but i want to make sure that i ask you this question and this is a question i mm -hmm. ask all my guests um and, and it, the context is always important but imagine you're in an airport and they're going to close the door to your gate in 30 seconds and for whatever reason, you can't miss the flight. Whatever's on the other end is super important. But you run into somebody uh, who's either recently been diagnosed or is struggling with their type 1. Um, what's the one thing you tell them in that 30 seconds um, before you got to jump on that flight? Don't listen to anybody. Find everything out yourself. Test things out yourself. And be consistent at it. And that's pretty much it. You know? Yeah, and I think that takes a certain level of ownership as well. Um, and, you know, that's something that I continually get inspired by when I talk to people like you and, and other diabetics. Like, everybody takes ownership in their own way. But a key to living a successful life with diabetes for yourself is owning the problem and taking responsibility for your own health. And, you know, if you do that, whatever the, whatever the way you do it, uh, you know, I think, you know, you're nine times out of ten, you're going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 right there. That's it. Well, Paulius, man, uh, first of all, it was great to meet you, and I'm uh, I'm glad we were able to link up and, and have this conversation. But thanks again for coming on the podcast and really dropping some serious knowledge. Uh, hopefully, somebody will be on a future YouTube or podcast rabbit hole, and they'll stumble across this interview and uh, and really get some inspiration from it. <laughs> I hope they do, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, if our listeners want to follow you on social media, what's the best way to do it? Uh, just go on Instagram and uh, search Ampolius, I-M-P-A-U-L-I-U-S, or you could go to Ampolius.com and just send me an email, or you could actually just send me an email straight from Instagram or message me. It doesn't matter. Um, I'll answer. If you want to talk or anything, I'll be there. I love it, man. Uh, and we're definitely going to keep in touch for sure. And uh, if you ever need anything, feel free to reach out, and uh, we will uh... – you know, make sure we can do whatever, whatever it is, we'll figure out a way to make it happen. Awesome, man. Thanks, Rob.